0: Colossians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. But Colossians chapter 4, if you're ready to dive into God's Word, would you say amen today? We're going to start reading in verse number 2. The Bible says this. Continue in prayer and watch. Everybody say watch. In the same with thanksgiving, with all praying for us also that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject, an open door. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, an open door. Turn to your second choice and say, you too, an open door. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity to sing about your worth, your majesty, God, I pray that we would recognize that you alone are worthy of our worship. And that when we come together to lift high your name, that you deserve all the glory and we do not. And Lord, I pray that as we look to Colossians chapter 4 today, I pray that we'd be encouraged in our time together. I pray that we'd be challenged. Lord, I pray that we would recognize the open door that you have for us and that we would learn how to walk through it. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find a seat this morning. Several years ago, I surprised Katie, and I took her to the Pantages Theater in Hollywood, and we went and saw a Broadway show called Wicked. And Wicked is kind of the -the behind-the-scenes story of The Wizard of Oz. How many of you are familiar with The Wizard of Oz? And so this Broadway musical is kind of the uh, -the behind-the-scenes look at it. And so we went to this uh, musical, and I went with my brother-in-law and my sister and my wife, Katie, and we enjoyed uh, watching that show. And after the show, there is a space behind the Pantages Theater where all the actresses and actors will come out, the performers, and you can kind of uh, try to get an autograph or try to take a picture with one of them. And so uh, we walked over there after the performance and there were a few hundred people just kind of waiting to see uh, who's going to walk out and try to get a picture of someone famous. And While we were standing there waiting, I noticed that adjacent to me was a door attached to the building, and it was kind of incognito. It was kind of painted the same color as the wall of the outside of the building. And uh, uh, this door just kind of intrigued me, so I thought, you know, I'm kind of curious. I'm gonna just check and see if this door is open. And so I checked, and behold, was open. And so I thought, um, this looks kind of interesting. I looked at my brother-in-law and I said, do you want to go in? And he said, of course. And so uh, we uh, started uh, through that door. We started walking down the hallway, kind of just were walking around. And we happened to have just come from a funeral. So we were both wearing suits. And so we just kind of acted like we owned the place, just kind of confident and in charge and walking through that building. Uh, we found ourselves on the stage of Pantages Theater. And we were kind of just looking around and just, and just uh, enjoying the moment. And uh, then we kind of made our way off the stage and And we found that backstage exit door where all the celebrities were walking through. And so we decided that we would walk out with all the actors and and performers. And so uh, we walked out. Nobody knew who we were, but we were just kind of smiling and waving, like just kind of owning the moment. And uh, Katie was so embarrassed that I was doing that. But we certainly uh, enjoyed that moment walking out with the performers, all because we found a door that was open. You know, an open door is a concept that you see throughout the Scripture. It's a picture. It's a concept that's very integral to the pages of Scripture. Specifically in the New Testament, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 14, verse 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. By the way, uh, there ought to be some times as a church that we rehearse all that God has done for us. I'm thankful that this year we've seen more people saved, more people baptized, more people discipled, more people plugged into a small group than any year before. And that is not for our glory. That's for His glory. And I believe it's important to rehearse the things that God has done to recognize and to celebrate his faithfulness. And so uh, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And then it says this, and how he had opened the door. Of faith unto the gentiles and so god was blessing in the early church and he opened the door of faith unto the gentiles and he opened opportunities to uh, share and to preach the gospel and you know the bible says in first corinthians chapter 6 verse number 9 for a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there are many adversaries so i think this is this is important to note that just because god opens up a door does not mean that there won't be opposition along the way he says, There was a great door that was open unto me, and there are many adversaries. I always think the conjunction there should be but. You know, but, negative. Uh, there's many adversaries. There's enemies. But he says, and there are many adversaries. When you walk through an open door that God has for you, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to like you. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. But it is always worth it to walk through those doors that God has opened. Now, I want us to see what Paul has to say in Colossians chapter 4 in regards to this subject. Everybody with me so far today? Yeah. Notice what he says in verse 3. With all praying also for us that God would... Open unto us a door. Did you notice how he said that God would open the door? He's not trying to open up his own door. He's not trying to barge through a door that he wants open. He's being patient, saying, I'm praying that God would open up this door. One of the last things that you want to do in life is try to open up a door that God has closed. And maybe God keeps a door shut for a reason. And the last thing you want to do is try to breach that door that is unlocked and try to get out ahead of God. And so Paul says, I'm praying that God would open up a door of opportunity. I'm praying that God would lead me in this area. And he says specifically that God would open up a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, the mystery of Christ is not that it is unknowable or a secret. It's that many people do not know about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm praying for opportunities to share my faith. I believe for us at Rock Hill that God has opened unto us a door of opportunity. I'm thankful that over the last several months that God has been blessing and showing favor, and we've seen people saved on a weekly basis, and new people added to the church, and even just these past weeks, having a a public school Christian club at Rancho Cucamonga High School. I'm thankful for open doors of opportunity, and the last thing that we want to do when God opens up a door of opportunity as a church is fail to walk through it. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, he says, in chapter 2, verse number 12, he says this, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. And so Paul has this interesting phraseology here where he says I arrived in Troas and God opened up a door there was an open door to share the gospel but I had no rest in my spirit because I was worried about Titus and I was worried where he was in the church that Titus was overseeing and so Paul had an open door but he couldn't walk through it because he had no rest in his spirit Often God can open up a door for us, and yet we struggle to walk through that door because there is unfiltered thoughts that we have lingering in our mind, that we have a relationship that we have not yet restored or forgiven, and there is bitterness that is causing us to walk through the open door. There is an offense that we're carrying that causes us to not walk through the open door. And Paul said, there was this great opportunity there at Troas, but I couldn't walk through the door because I had no rest in my spirit. And so today, as we look to Colossians chapter four, and as we close out this chapter, I wanna give us four ways that we can walk through the open door. Would that be all right today? Four ways that we can walk through the open door that God has given us. Number one today, be persistent in your prayers. If you want to walk through the open doors that God has for you, you've gotta be persistent in your prayers. Let's notice it in verse number two of Colossians chapter four. It says this, Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. The word continue means devoted. It means to be steadfast, to be persistent. He says continue in prayer. The word is used in the New Testament six times in relationship to prayer. In other words, don't just pray casually. Pray continually. Be persistent, ongoing, uh, incessant. It's this importunate prayer that Jesus describes. Now, by the way, I love that Paul here is prescribing prayer. He's prescribing something that we should do. Continue in prayer. But if you remember all the way back in chapter number one, the first week of this study, in chapter one, verse number three, Paul himself says, I've been praying for you always. And so in other words, Paul is prescribing something that he had already practiced. It's a good thing in life. If you're going to prescribe something, make sure that you are practicing it yourself. Don't just tell someone else to do something that you are unwilling to do. And so in chapter one, we see Paul practicing prayer. In chapter four, he is prescribing prayer and he's telling the church, continue, be steadfast in prayer. How many of you believe in the power of prayer this morning. And God desires and longs to hear from us. In fact, Isaiah chapter 42, verse number six, I have set a watchman upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. You that make mention of the Lord, uh, you that believe in the Lord, that believe in the power of prayer that just raised your hands a second ago, you that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. Keep on stepping by faith. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I love the acronym push when it comes to prayer. Push. Pray until something happens. Keep on praying. Pray continue. He says continue in prayer, but then he gives two ways that we can do this. He says continue in prayer and watch, and watch. And so the first way that we should pray is with attentiveness, to be alert to be on guard, that we're not gonna fall asleep like the disciples when we pray, but that we're gonna labor and work hard at being alert when we pray. How many of you, if you're being honest this morning, have ever been distracted? when you were praying. Anybody like that? I know that I'm there. Uh, There are times when I wanna be focused in prayer and I'm praying for my family, and then all of a sudden a thought will pop into my head like, man, the Lakers are two and nine, this is not good. Like, we need to get back on, okay, I need to pray. Maybe I need to be praying for the Lakers, maybe that's the sign. And uh, sometimes we can be distracted when it comes to prayer. And so Paul's saying continue in prayer and watch, be attentive. Pay attention to what God is doing. Pay attention to your uh, season that you find yourself in. In fact, Daniel Aiken says this. It describes, speaking of the word watch, he says, it describes an awareness that stays in tune with the times that we're going to be watching. What's going on in the culture? What's going on in our country? What trends do I see? Uh, what's taking place in our nation? Uh, in tune with the times and is mindful of the cultural circumstances, particularly as they relate to the spread of the gospel. You know, Paul told Timothy, you need to preach the word in season and preach the word out of season. And if you're going to preach the word in season and out of season, you better know what season you're in. And a lot of times we're struggling to understand the season that we're in because we're not paying attention. By the way, parents, you ought to pay attention to what's happening in our culture. You better pay attention to what's going on on TikTok and on Instagram and on Snapchat and recognize, hey, uh, the enemy as a roaring lion is seeking whom he may devour. And so I'm going to pay attention to what's going on in the world today. Can I get an amen from the parents today? And so we ought to pay attention. And so we're saying continue in prayer and watch, be attentive. But then he says, and watch with thanksgiving. And so we ought to uh, pray with attentiveness, but then pray with gratitude in our hearts. A lot of times we rush to God's presence and we're quick to bring him our needs. That's called supplication. By the way, I'm thankful that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers and desires to hear from us that we can bring those needs and supplications. But before you rush into God's presence with your needs, rush to his presence with adoration and thanksgiving in your heart giving him the praise and the honor that he is worthy of. He, uh, Paul says, continue in prayer. Watch with thanksgiving. The Bible says this in Psalm 95, verse number one. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. By the way, that's what we did this morning. And let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. And we ought to approach him with gratitude in our hearts. You know, this week, Katie, my wife, took our three kids to visit her grandfather, who was a pastor for 35 years in Missouri, a church that he started. And I always want to pay attention to those that have gone before me to listen to that wisdom and experience that I can glean, but I certainly want my kids to listen to that uh, generational wisdom and experience. And they were listening to their great-grandfather, and uh, he was talking to them, and he was singing with his guitar that he had. He was playing a guitar, and he told them, my favorite hymn, my favorite song is the song, Thank You, Lord, for Saving My Soul. Thank you. And then he looked at my daughter, Liv, my oldest daughter, and he said, Liv, the happiest people in life are those that are grateful And he said, the most miserable people in life are those that are ungrateful. When there is gratitude in your heart, it can alter the atmosphere of your life. Nothing screams immaturity louder than being ungrateful. And and here, Paul is saying, continue in prayer. Watch, pay attention, and pray, and pay attention with gratitude. And so, number one, we have to be persistent in our prayers. He says, continue in prayer. And then, number two this morning, if you're taking notes, now we're going to learn to be bold in our message. And so we've got to be persistent in our prayers, but then we've got to be bold in our message. Now, notice what Paul says here in verse number three. He says, without praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Again, he's praying for an open door of opportunity to share his faith. By the way, I believe that if you pray for open doors of opportunity in your life, God will give them to you. I believe that. Maybe you haven't had an opportunity to share your faith because you're not praying for an opportunity to share your faith. Paul was praying for open doors. Uh, I'm praying that God would give me an open door when when I talk to my relatives at Thanksgiving. I'm praying that God would give me an open door of opportunity when I talk to my boss at work. I'm praying that God would open up a door for my neighbors. I'm praying that God would open up a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. But then he says this, for which I am also in bonds. Do you see the boldness of the Apostle Paul? He's already in prison for preaching the gospel. And what is his prayer request? I want to preach the gospel more. Uh, This was a courageous spirit. He's like, I'm in prison, I'm in bonds, but I'm praying that God would give me boldness to communicate this message. Uh, The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse six, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There are enough people today living by fear. We ought to start walking by faith, recognizing that the Lord is my helper. I'm not gonna fear what man shall do unto me. We can boldly say this with confidence. Verse 4, he goes even further, and he says that I may make it manifest. Correct. The word manifest means to make it known, to make it clear, uh, to, to publish this, to make this a public spectacle. I want everyone to know clearly who Jesus is. He wanted to be bold in his message and bold in the communication of Christ. In the 1960s, there were two psychologists that coined this term, the bystander effect. How many of you? I've never heard this term, the bystander effect. And the bystander effect uh, really took place after a tragic incident in Queens, New York in the 1960s. There was a young lady who was brutally murdered and she was stabbed to death in her apartment home. And the police officers came, they were investigating and they started asking a lot of questions. And according to a New York Times article, they determined that 38 of her neighbors heard her screams, or witnessed the event. And not one of them called the police. And the psychologists came and they started saying this, why did no one call the police? Why did no one call the authorities? And they coined this term the bystander effect, which means that the more witnesses there are, the less likely they are to be involved. Because there's this mindset, someone else will do it. Someone else will call. Can I tell you that there are people that are hurting and broken in our world all around us, and we as followers of Jesus cannot afford to fall prey to the bystander effect and think someone else will share the gospel with them, someone else will do this. No, all of us have a responsibility to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, to be bold in our witness. See, evangelism is not the calling for some. It's the command for all. Every follower of Jesus has been instructed by Jesus to go. And a lot of times what we think is someone else will do it. They'll do it. Someone else will tell my neighbor if I don't do it. And here's what Paul is saying. I'm praying that God would give an open door of opportunity. Hey, you know why in December we're going to have a Christmas experience? And you know why we're going to have a kid's choir and and why we're going to have some special events? We want to lift high. of Jesus. But we also want to have opportunities, open doors of opportunities to invite others to bring them in. And I want to encourage you this holiday season, when many people will not attend church unless it's a holiday or a special season, I want to encourage you to begin praying now that God would open up doors of opportunities. And this is exactly what Paul uh, is saying here. And so be persistent in your prayers. Be bold in your message. Here's number three today. You ready for it? Anybody else ready for it? Okay. Number three, be wise in your approach. All right, so we're going to be bold in our message, but we've also got to be wise in our approach. Sometimes people can, you know, be a bull in a china shop, and I'm going to be bold in my message, and they end up hurting everybody in their way. And so we also have to be wise in our approach. Now, we're called to do this as followers of Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse number five. It says this, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now, who is that? Them that are without. Those would be lost people. Those would be people without Christ, without the good news of the gospel. They've never accepted Christ and and, uh, they don't have a home in heaven. He says, You need to walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And so here, what Paul is talking about is our testimony as followers of Jesus. Sometimes people can immaturely say, Well, I don't care what people think about me. And I understand the sentiment, but also the Bible says in Proverbs that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so in some regard, we should care what people have to say about us because we are ambassadors of Christ and we are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so Paul is saying, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Don't give Christianity a bad name because you are lazy at work. Don't give Christianity a bad name because you are not exhibiting joy in your life and someone else can look at your life and say, why would I want to accept Jesus? I've never seen you smile one time in your whole life. And so we ought to be very careful how we are carrying ourselves because we want to represent the message of Jesus. Well, as Christians, the way that we behave should beautify what we believe. And so he says, in wisdom toward them that are without. Then he goes on to verse number six and he says this: Let your speech be always with grace. That should be pinned to the top of your computer or phone before you go on social media. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. How many of you are more savory when it comes to your food palate? Anybody like that? Savory people. How many of you are more sweet? A lot of you didn't vote. Let's try it again. How many of you are more savory? Okay, how many of you are more sweet? Okay, maybe about half and half and I think I would lean more towards savory like I like chips and salsa and and french fries And I want to make I want to make sure that there's salt on those uh, things Uh, By the way, uh, why would they even have such a thing as unsalted popcorn, right? This doesn't even make sense like whoever no And I want to make sure that I have salt on my food why salt enhances things That's why when I go to Red Robin and get the bottomless fries The bottomless fries are good by themselves, but when you add that special red robin seasoning, that's all the difference in the world right there, right? And why? Salt enhances. And so when it comes to our lifestyles, when it comes to our communication, we ought to season our speech with salt. We ought to attract people to the gospel. Hey, we don't want to make Christianity boring and undesirable. No, we have a calling to make Christianity attractive to bring other people in in the way that we behave. Imagine going to the nicest steakhouse in the Inland Empire. I don't know what it is, but just you pick one in your mind, the nicest steakhouse there is, and you're going to go into that place, the most expensive steakhouse, and you're going to order the most expensive thing on the menu. You're going to get the steak and lobster, and it's uh, it's $200 for one plate. And you are going to get the most expensive steak that you can. And imagine that you went into that place, ordered that steak, and the waitress brought it out, And they used an old, dirty, used paper plate. And there was old stains on it and fruit crustaceans on the plate. And they brought that out to you, and they presented to you that steak. Now, there would be nothing wrong with the steak, but the way that it was presented would make it repulsive. We have the most beautiful thing in all of the world. It's called the gospel. We need to make sure that we are presenting the gospel in a manner that is worthy of its beauty. And we need to make sure that the way that we are living our lives is not a deterrent for people to come to Christ. But we are going to be bold in our witness and bold in our message, but wise in our approach. That we're going to be careful in how we interact with the world. We're not just going to be argumentative. We're going to be affectionate. We're not just gonna be complaining and critical all the time and oh, everything's so bad and I can't believe this and I can't believe that, but we're actually gonna be compassionate and show some spiritual maturity when we have these conversations. And so we have to be wise in our approach. And this leads us really to the heart of the message today. Number four is this, we're gonna be selfless in our relationships. If you want to walk through open doors, you have to have the right relationships and the right community in your life. And I love how Paul closes this chapter because he's going to go on and he's going to give some shout outs to some of his friends. And it's kind of his farewell tour. It's kind of like sometimes professional athletes in their last season, they'll go on a farewell tour and they'll visit all the cities and they'll say goodbye to all their friends. And and, uh, Paul here is going to list 10 people. And we're not going to take the time to do a deep dive on all 10, but we are going to read through this. And there's one overarching character trait that his friends exemplify that I want us to catch the heart of today. And that one character trait is selflessness. They were selfless. It wasn't about them and what they wanted and their agenda and their kingdom. It was about advancing the kingdom of Christ. And so Paul's going to mention these friends. And we're going to look at them. They're going to be on the screen this morning. Is everybody ready? Notice it in verse number 7. He says, all my state shall Tychicus. And so the first person that we're introduced to is his friend Tychicus. Declare unto you who is a a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. And so the first person here that we meet is Tychicus. Tychicus is only mentioned five times in scripture. And here's what I love about Tychicus. Every time Tychicus is mentioned, he's doing something different. Every time that he's mentioned, he's serving in a different capacity. I believe Tychicus was Paul's go-to guy. When Paul really needed to get something done, where's Tychicus? I want to find him because he can get the job done. He had a servant's spirit. By the way, as a church, if we're going to walk through the open doors that God has for us, we must maintain a servant's spirit. That we are willing to serve in the big areas, in the small areas, whatever it takes to reach people with the good news of the gospel. Tychicus had a servant's spirit. Now, notice verse number 9. Then he says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. What that means is that Onesimus, he was uh, a member at the church in Colossae. And if you remember the book of Philemon, Philemon was the man that actually housed the church at Colossae. Uh, Epaphras was the pastor. Philemon allowed the church to meet in his home. And Onesimus was a slave in the Roman world that belonged to, uh, that belonged to Philemon. And Onesimus ran away. He's like, I'm not, I don't have any part of this. And so he ran away. He ran all the way from Colossae all the way to Rome. And it just so happens in the providence of God. Guess who he ran into with all the millions of people in the city of Rome? He ran into the Apostle Paul and Onesimus meets the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. He gets saved. He joins Paul's team and becomes profitable for Paul in the ministry. And now when Paul writes this letter back to the church at Colossae, he says with Onesimus, not a runaway slave, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. And here's what Onesimus represents, a bright future. Paul did not introduce him by his past and by the mistakes that he perhaps had made, but he identifies him with his future. Can I tell you today that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, the future is bright and that God is far more concerned with your destiny than he is with your history and Onesimus represents a bright future. He's a faithful brother and a friend, not a runaway slave. This is Onesimus. It was verse 10, Aristarchus. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. I love Aristarchus because Aristarchus represents a loyal friend. He was with Paul through thick and thin. You might have a friend that would say, you know what, I'd be willing to do anything for you. I'd be willing to go to prison for you. I'd go to jail for you. That's exactly what Aristarchus did. He went to jail with the apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 27, when he was on a ship to Rome as a prisoner, guess who was by his side? Aristarchus. He represents a loyal friend. I'm going to be with you. And so Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluted you. And Marcus. Now who's this? Marcus. This is the same Mark that accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. If you remember Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas and Mark, they set out and God was doing some wonderful, wonderful things, but it got a little bit difficult. Why? Because every open door comes with opposition. They encountered a little bit of opposition, and guess what Mark did? He said, You know what? I think I'm gonna head back home. And so Mark left. And later on in Acts chapter 15, they said, getting ready for their second missionary journey. And, and they say, hey, we should bring Mark with us. And you know what Paul said? You gotta be kidding me. We can't take Mark. Mark's a quitter. Why, why would we take Mark with us? They, they had a fractured relationship. By the way, sometimes when you are serving the Lord in close capacity and you have relationships with people that want to reach more people with the gospel, sometimes there's going to be tension. Sometimes there's going to be a relationship that gets fractured because we are all uh, imperfect people. And here there is a relationship that is broken between uh, Paul and Mark. And Paul said, I don't want Mark to come with us. But then later on, when Paul was writing to 1 Timothy, Everybody tracking with me so far? Paul was writing in 1 Timothy. He was writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says this in 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark. Go find Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. You know what Mark represents? A restored relationship. There was a fracture. There was something that went wrong. But here Paul is showing, hey, I want you to know, Mark and I, we're good. And our relationship has been restored. Perhaps today, God is speaking to you. And maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Maybe there's someone that you need to let go of the offense. That you need to say, you know, I'm not going to allow this offense to hold me back. Why? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And so I'm not going to allow this offense to keep me from walking through the open door that God has for me. And so Mark represents a restored relationship. Notice the next verse, verse number 10, verse number 11. And Jesus, which is called justice, who are of the circumcision. These are my fellow co-workers, my fellow workers, unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. This is the only time this man justice is mentioned. Uh, we don't know much about him other than this verse. But here's the one thing we know about justice. you for it, he was a comforter. Did you see in verse number 11? It says that they have been a comfort unto me. And so we don't know much about justice, but here's what we know. He was an encouraging friend. He was just something that when he walked into a room, he didn't suck the energy out of the room. He brought uh, encouragement and edified the people in the room. He was an encourager. And by the way, if we're going to walk through an open door that God has for us, we're going to need some people in the church that are encouragers that are lifting other people up and not tearing them down. We need to have some encouragement within the local church. Notice verse number 12. Epaphras, here's the next one on the list. Who was one of you? Why, why was Epaphras one of them? He was the pastor. He was the pastor there. By the way, I love this list because of the diversity on it. They weren't all pastors. They weren't all in full-time ministry, but these were Paul's friends. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. What do we know about Epaphras? He had a praying heart. He was always fervently and frequently praying for the people in his life. I wonder, are you praying for your relationships? Are you praying for the people that are sitting in this room, for the people that went to the 8.30 service, the 11.30 service? Are we praying? Epaphras had a praying heart. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, here we see Luke. Luke represents someone that had a specialized gift because Luke was a physician, he was a doctor. Paul had an infirmity of the flesh and often Luke would accompany him on his missionary journeys. And when Paul's health was struggling, guess who was by his side? Luke. What was he doing, singing? No, we don't know if Luke could sing. Was he playing an instrument? I don't know. You know what he was doing? He was being a doctor because that's what God equipped him to be able to do. He had a specialized gift. Today, I don't know what your specialized gift is but here's what I'm confident of, you have one. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Read Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, he's going to equip you to carry out some special gifts. I don't know if that gift is encouragement. I don't know if that gift is leadership. I don't know if that gift is giving. I don't know if that gift is teaching or preaching or showing empathy. But when the Holy Spirit fills you, he equips you for service. You have a gift. Are you using it? Luke had a specialized gift. It was just... Helping in medicinal ways. He was helping the Apostle Paul. Notice verse 15. He says, with the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphis. Nymphis represents someone that had a hospitable home. He opened up the home in his church. We see it uh, there in verse 15. And the church which is in his house. By the way, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be hospitable, to open up our homes, to open up our hearts, to break bread, to have fellowship. To get plugged into a small group memphis was hospitable notice verse 16 and when this epistle is read among you cause it be read also in the church of the laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from laodicea and say to archippus here's the last one on the list take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the lord that thou fulfill it archippus represents a finishing mindset he says stick with it i don't know who's in the room today that's about to quit on something You might be about to quit on your spouse, on a work relationship, about to quit on a job, about about to quit on something when you haven't quite yet reached the potential that God wants for you there, and here Paul was telling this man, Archippus, hey make sure that you fulfill it, have a finishing mindset. So often we start out strong even in the church and, and things go well at the beginning, but then we get offended, then we get hurt, then it, our expectations are unmet, and so then we walk away. But the faith to step out is worthless without the faith to stick it out. To say, I'm gonna get rooted, I'm gonna get planted, even when my expectations are unmet. is: hey, make sure you fulfill it, don't quit. Fulfill the ministry that God has for you. And so these were Paul's friends. I wonder what would be said about you. How would someone describe your friendship in the Lord? I don't know if you saw it, but there was one name that I missed. Did anybody catch it? There was one name that I skipped over. Let's go back to verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. There was one bad apple in the group. His name was Demas. Paul describes Demas this way in 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Why did Demas forsake the ministry, forsake the gospel? It says this, having loved this present world. The one bad apple was because he loved the things of this world more than the things of God. Everyone else selfless. It's all about the kingdom of God. How can I serve? How can I give? How can I be a part? We want to walk through the open door. But there was one man, Demas, having loved this present world. If we are going to make a difference here in Rancho Cucamonga, if we're going to make a difference in the Inland Empire, we must do it together. We've got to have some relationships. We've got to get plugged into community and say, you know what? We are going to strive together for the faith of the gospel. We need some. Friendships and relationships that will hold us accountable and will encourage us when we fall. Hey, does anybody believe this morning that we ought to do this thing together called the church? (laughs) Serving together. Worshiping together. We were not created for isolation. Where there is isolation, there will be instability. We were created for relationship. Notice what he says in verse 18. "The The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Where there's open door, there's opposition. Grace be with you. Amen. The greatest open door that the world has ever known is the person of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Jesus said, I am the door. Notice it. John 10, verse 9 I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Do you believe that today? He says, I'm the door. This is what matters most in life. It's the gospel. It's that Jesus is the door. The door is not good works. The door is not religion. The door is not moralism. The door is not your education. The door is Jesus Christ. And if you walk through that door you will be saved and shall go in and out. That's a term of safety and security. In an ancient city, if the city was under attack, they'd close the door. No one could go in or out. But where Jesus is, there is security and safety. And so not only when you walk through the door, will you be saved? You will be secure and find pasture. This speaks to satisfaction. Can I tell you that the greatest life possible is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ? We have a whole world and culture that is looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places, but when you walk through the open door of Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you will be secure, and you will be satisfied. He is the door, and there might be some in the room today, just like there was in the first service today, that have never walked through that door. There might be some watching online today that never have walked through that door. And today can be the day of salvation for you. You can walk through the open door knowing that you can have eternal life and be saved and satisfied. Not because of religion, but because of a relationship with Jesus. He is the open door. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.